I am beyond excited to announce that I have partnered with Magimix for season eight of Crazy Sexy Food. Magimix is a family-owned business that has the amazing reputation as makers of quality kitchen appliances that are adored by chefs and home cooks alike. I remember growing up and always seeing my mum's beloved Magimix on her countertop and the utter ease of how she used it. With their 30-year motor guarantee, these machines have always been built to last. They continue to be relevant as ever in the busy kitchen and make fantastic food processes that make your food go further and reduce food wastage. They are a godsend when it comes to batch cooking and using up leftovers. I use my Magimix every single day. If you're ready to step into the world of Magimix with a new food processor, blender, ice cream maker or any other bit of kit, then simply pop over to their website and use my exclusive code at checkout for a 15% discount. The code is MagimixCSF. Make it with Magimix. Hi and welcome to Crazy Sexy Food. I'm Hannah Harley-Young. This podcast is all about the love of food and how it plays a part in our lives. I sit down with well-known personalities, food experts, chefs, and people who, well, just love their food to find out all about their life, career, and their favorite tastes along the way. Today I'm joined by fashion designer, Amanda Wakeley. Amanda is known the world over for her clean and glamorous signature style. She has dressed some of the most famous women in the world, including Princess Diana, Michelle Obama and Angelina Jolie. Over several decades, she has seen the fashion industry evolve through the changing times and what it means to be beautiful, from the 90s heroine chic aesthetic to the noughties transition to present day where beauty isn't just constricted to one ideal, where age, body shape and skin colour are now finally being celebrated on global platforms. Most recently, Amanda has delved into the podcasting world, welcome (laughs) and launched her debut show amanda wakely style dna which sees sees her delve into her guests sartorial choices fashion faux pas and everything in between amanda what a joy to have you on welcome to crazy sexy food what an intro my goodness (laughs) can i just absorb all of that take it all in and we must just make a special mention we only just discovered as soon as you walked into my home that there is a story behind Angelina Jolie. So this just so happens to be on my wall as you enter my property because my husband loves only two women, we hope, in this world. One of them being her, one of them being me. But what is she wearing? She's wearing Wakely, and I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't think I even said hello to you before I pointed <laughs> at it and said, oh, my God, I Angelina's mean, wearing Wakely. What are the chances? <laughs> so we just had to take off the wall and show everyone. But I did also say Leo has excellent taste i mean i mean i'm biased so i'll have to agree (laughs) anyway welcome thank you so much for coming to my home and we have known each other for a very long time a Uh, very 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 long time time. and i'm really excited to sort of get into like the deeper workings of your mind and your relationship with food so i always start my interviews with asking what did you have for breakfast today I'm ashamed. Well, not ashamed. I didn't. I don't eat breakfast. Okay. I'm I'm an intermittent faster. Right. And so I don't eat until generally till lunchtime, late lunch, 
really depends on how I'm feeling or what I'm doing. But actually, I've discovered intermittent fasting, finally. And I love it. I absolutely love it. How long have you been doing it for? Probably a couple of years. Okay. And I mean, so just to delve into it, because I mean, I mean, I do it sometimes, but I think I do it without realizing it. Yeah. Do you just feel that it just sits better with you, like digestive wise? I started it probably five or six years ago doing the whole five two thing. But yeah. a couple of years ago, I listening to Michael Mosley, who I think is just a fountain of information on health and well-being and longevity. And we'll mm. love a little bit of longevity, hopefully. Um, and he was talking about the benefits of the 16-8 fast and how your body goes into this, uh, I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, but autophagy, autophagy, which is where after 12 hours of fasting, your cells actually start to clean themselves up oh, and wow. your body heals itself. Okay. And I thought, ooh, really like the idea <laughs> of these little Pac-Men inside me gobbling up all Absolutely. the nasty cells. But, uh, but the truth of the matter is I just feel so much better. Yeah. I'm one of those people that if I eat breakfast, I just feel sluggish mm. and sleepy and mm. hungry by 11 a.m. If I don't eat breakfast, I'm just on a roll. That's so interesting. It's also just so interesting how like it works for some people. I mean, I'm sort of like a, a halfway intermittent faster, as in, as I said, I do it without realizing because of the nature of my schedule in the morning. So I probably wouldn't eat breakfast till about 11 anyway. But then if I work out, I eat dinner ridiculously early unless I'm going out for dinner. Like I like to eat dinner at like six o'clock in the evening. But that's so much healthier. It is actually healthier. And then you work out, that's quite a good time frame of not sort of eating and just you know cleansing I'm, that body I'm just a huge fan of listening to your body yeah just oh my god me too really yeah. really listen to mm. it and yes at times it's like don't eat that chocolate but yeah I'm yeah. going to <laughs> <laughs> no I agree so in that case what was your last meal my last meal was last night but it was it was quite light I have to eat, uh, admit because We'd had a monster lunch yesterday. Okay. (laughs) Um, Which was um, trout, which was just delicious. delicious. Really, really delicious. Very underrated fish. Really underrated, but Hugh had caught it. And, where? Uh, mm, don't ask me where. I okay, don't know. Somewhere. Somewhere. It was in the deep <laughs> Not freeze, the I have to say. But when we pulled it out of the deep freeze, the gills were still lovely and red. Oh, and it was wow. really, really deliciously fresh. Just with big salads and um, quinoa and oh, feta. Fab. and mm, Oh, that's my yum. idea of like a really good home meal anyway. Yeah. So we're very much on the same track. I want to take it back to your childhood. You were born and raised in Cheshire. I want to know what life was like growing up. Who was cooking? What was on the table? Was food important? Paint the whole picture. So um, my uncle always described our our house as organised chaos. And it was lovely, sort of happy, um, happy chaos. I, I don't think it was that chaotic, actually. But my mother was a really keen gardener, a fantastic vegetable grower and fruit grower, and a great cook. You know, she gave up her career and she brought the three of us up and so um but back in the 70s it was much simpler you know it was a a completely different Mm. approach and there was always a pressure cooker on and you know veg being picked or fruit being picked and fruit being stewed or marmalade being made 
Well, that naturally and seamlessly <laughs> brings us into a few gifts that you've brought me. And we'll, we'll come back to your childhood in a second. But Amanda showed up with gifts. Love a gift. We've got fresh basil and fresh tarragon from your terrace. That's correct. In I mean, London. it's singing. It's, so, it's such a bright, vivid green. I, I'm, su- I'm actually going to use that for my dinner tonight. And here I have June and Amanda's lemon marmalade. Yes. So talk to me about this. Well... I love a good marmalade, always have. And it was always a sort of ritual in our household of making marmalade. And and my mother was a fantastic marmalade maker. And for me, the secret is an agar. And you can just put your fruit in the agar overnight. Just let it go. Let it go. And it becomes that really vintage colour, as you can see. That's really interesting for a lemon. It's strong. It's really strong. Yeah, that's good. I love it. And it's very, it's not very sweet. It's really, really citrusy. So I want full feedback. Oh, don't, don't. You are, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to be doing a whole situation. But the lovely thing is my 89-year-old mother now and I made that earlier this year together. And it was just a lovely ritual to do together. Thank, well, thank you very much for bringing it over. I think once you're gone, I'm going to have a little bit of toast. Oh, toast and, the, and marmalade. Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so back to your childhood. I, you know, I I read that you went to boarding school, which can be a very interesting experience for some people. My mom was sent to boarding school. My husband went to boarding school. I mean, what age were you sent? What was the experience like? And what was the food like? I was sent age 13. And it was, back then, it was sort of considered to be, if you could remotely afford it, the thing to do. And I think now, you know, time's changed. Um, But... It was, the food was indescribably vile, which is when I got my real passion for toast and homemade marmalade. (laughs) Because always in our, whatever they were, studies or whatever, there was always a loaf of bread and some butter. And so for me, I lived off toast and marmalade. I mean, but like, what are we talking here? Like, this oh, is... we're talking tapioca for oh. pudding. I mean, who eats tapioca? No. Semolina. I mean, just everything. Every vegetable like was s- sludge. Sludge. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just revolting. Yeah. I mean, yes, yeah. Just my favourite meal of the day was cereal for breakfast and toast. More toast. I mean. God knows what I did to my digestion. You know, we're talking about the 70s here and food in the UK most certainly is not was not what it is now. And, you know, it was very much kind of, you know, I'm assuming meat was still a luxury and, you know, we just didn't... Oh my God, it wasn't we just post-war, didn't. Hannah. No, well, no, but still, like, even like, you know, like cuisines, you know, I remember my mum always telling me that when she first had pasta, it was like exotic for her to have pasta I, because... You'd never, it wasn't like it is today. Yes, I mean, it was much more um, meat and potatoes yeah. back then yeah. than it was pasta, you know, and I and I asked my stepchildren what they had at school. Yeah. And, it, you know, always pasta, always croissants for breakfast, for goodness wow. sake. I mean, Gosh. croissants, we, you know, yeah. <laughs> they were a luxury yeah. that happened on a Saturday or a Sunday. Totally. So give me some examples of dishes that were on the table. Uh so I was quite, um, uh, let's say, I was um, not the most adventurous eater mm-hmm. as a child. And so, um, uh, but my mother was a, a wonderful cook and so could tempt me with toad in the hole, which I t- 
to this day, I just love, 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 love. love. Um, And, you know, it it was always sort of healthy food, um, but not sort of crazy, you know, over the top, what I'd call too much muesli food. Um, And, and... My mother was was sort of, I suppose, because I was the third and last, by which stage my brothers had gone to school, and it was, you've got to eat your vegetables. And I hated vegetables. I mean, now I could virtually be a vegetarian. But back then, and, and she cooked them well, but back then, so... Bodger, our giant white Labrador, became my best friend because it was like, you're sitting here until those vegetables are eaten. Well, Bodger was a very handy assistant on that. I feel like that's such a rite of passage as a child. I mean, the rule in our house was if you didn't eat your dinner, you didn't get your dessert. So it was very, you know, that that was a really great little manipulative skill on my mum's part. Fabulous. You know, because let's be honest, that's what you want as a kid, right? You want your ice cream and your apple crumble and whatever else. Chocolate, chocolate and more chocolate totally. in my case so and if it was angel delight then absolutely my god do you remember back in the day i don't know if you ever had it i grew up with these things called sara lee chocolate cake and yes. i think it came in the freezer or something but for some reason my mum would always serve the sara lee chocolate cake on the same night she was doing gammon with a with a, uh, a pineapple ring which for me is the most horrendous meal of all time and I don't know, and honestly, there'd be tears, tantrums at the table because I had to eat the bloody gammon to get to the Sara Lee chocolate cake. There's something about that savoury with sweet, you know, the meat with sweet. I've never, ever got it. No, and that's very like that. I mean, that was what, like early 90s or whatever. No, never. So, fast forwarding a bit, um, I guess what I want to ask is you know, you've created this unbelievable career and life in fashion. But was that always what you wanted to do? Honestly, I don't think as a child growing up, I thought about what I wanted to do. It was just a very different era. Mm. People didn't, you know, they they weren't sort of mentoring their children into unis or all of that. It was just much, much freer and Mm. much more relaxed. Did I love to make clothes? Yes. Did I love to dive into the dressing up box and customise and remake things? Yes. But did I ever even sort of think about... I mean, I went to a really good English school Mm. and the careers department was probably not even the size of your kitchen. Gosh. I mean, shocking. And I think it was the era of, you know... Girls, however brilliant they do, yes, maybe go to Oxford or Cambridge, but, you know, universities, not necessarily what they should be doing. I mean, so it's extraordinary to think back then. You know, I I think now of girls sort of doing their A-levels or their IB, they've got a really, really clear idea of possible career paths and definitely what degree they want to do and why they want to do it and all of that. It it was very different back then. So, uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. You, so in the 80s, you were modelling. So was that the route you took? I I modelled sort of in inverted commas very lightheartedly because, yes, I was in the 80s. It was in the 80s. I was living in New York. It was just such an amazing place to be at that time. And it just, it paid the bills sort of really easily. How did you find yourself in New York? Um, I, I had moved to Florida 
because I just wanted to get out of the UK aged 19. I just wanted to go and be near a beach in a sunny climate yeah. and all the rest of it. So a boyfriend and I at the time just up sticks and, and went. And um, and so then I, I fell into modelling there, if I'm really honest. Um, but it took me up to New York for the, the sort of next phase. And, you know, the fees that you were paid back then was just, crazy the old and the old days of, the old of, of days. having money in all oh, these industries hey? oh <laughs> my god yeah. you know just silly money yeah. for for very simple catalogue mm, work mm. I mean nothing that I would be super proud of but I but I'm not ashamed of it either yeah. let's get that straight but um it was just a different era it was a means to an end and I mean, and it did allowed you me to it? be in and around fashion and I loved it yeah. I loved it because I also loved the freedom of nothing was nine to five yeah so and I've always loved that freedom of being able to work as hard as I want to work the hours I want to work without it being really in a box I knew I nine to five wasn't going to work for me yeah um, I mean you and I are very much the same on that one I mean you know aside from the money side of things you know the industry is so different nowadays um, and I guess a topic of conversation that is is very important to me is sort of this beauty ideal. You know, as I mentioned in the intro, the 80s and 90s were very much about being super slim. That was what everyone aspired to. Whereas, you know, thankfully nowadays um, there's a lot more acceptance, a lot more inclusivity of different body shapes, different race whatever it might be, but in terms of sort of body shape, um, you know, as a designer, I wondered what your, t wonder what your take is on that, because it's a bloody long time coming. I have to be honest, you know, someone, especially as I sort of, I hate the word, oh, I've described myself as curvy or whatever, but, you know, I grew up with that certain aesthetic in the 90s and early 2000s. And I struggled with my weight because I never thought I was beautiful because oh. I had boobs and a bum. And now suddenly people are paying a lot of money to get all of that put into their body. So I just wondered from your Bonkers, point of view. isn't it? How, yeah, how I just, it, it has literally gone 180 degrees. Yeah. Um, from my point of view, in terms of diversity from my very first show, I was, and I remember the casting director saying to me, uh, you know, do you have a specific, and I, you know, m basically meaning, are you happy with girls of any color? And I said, absolutely. Mm. You know, I, I went to a very international school. So for me, I had friends from around yeah. the world. I didn't even think about their skin color. So I never took that on anywhere. Mm. And, and so Right from my very first show, I had girls from around the world, mm. which was really, I love. And um, now, on the body shape and the body, um, the size, um, the one thing I will say about that is the calendar, the fashion calendar moves so horribly fast. And at some stage, you have to say, okay, I'm making my samples in a size, let's say size 10, and I have a, fit, a house fit model that I am fitting on, and then I will grade down and up from there. Right. Um, so that, that it, it's just too complicated to create a hundred piece collection and to then roll, and too expensive, and then to roll out your samples in 
X, X different so sizes. So are you talking about as when you're designing for like the catwalk collection? Yes, exactly. Exactly. And so in terms of creating a really standard fit for your collection, you choose what, what is going to be your fit size. And, you know, we always went with a very generous size 10, which is probably more like a size 12 or 14 mm. on the high street. Yeah. Um, and so then we would grade down from that and up from that. If you start out with, say, for example, a 14 and a 16, by the time you grade down to a 6, you can have lost some of the proportions. Interesting. And we always went from, we our size range was... Um, sometimes six, but generally eight to 16. And so you sort of want to be somewhere in in the middle. Um, I am all for body diversity. I love it. I think we should sort of love who we are as long as we're healthy. Yeah. And, And I do think that's you know for me that's really fundamentally Mm. important Mm. um being healthy and happy in our skin so I mean you know I've seen so many women through the years feel uncomfortable in their skin and it and you know listen we're all women and we've all felt it god I would be lying if I said have I always been happy in my own skin hell no Mm. You know, it's society has lumped that on us. Totally, and I think, listen, you know, we are, as I said, we're, we're in an era where it's spoken about a lot more. We're seeing it a lot more. You know, I walked into a store the other day, and they had mannequins that were what they call plus size mannequins. You know, but why I have do an we issue have with to that label name. it? I, I, I have listen. I'm very open with how I feel. I th- I don't think it should be called plus size. I've also had um, many seasons ago a very good friend of mine uh, on the podcast who was a plus size model, and she actually challenged me, which is which was great, by saying that she didn't mind the term plus size, but I, I have an issue with it because plus size. Why 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 is it called plus size? What does that what does plus, that even mean? Plus from what exactly? Yeah. And I just, and and I get what you're saying from like a high fashion point of view. I get that. Let's go somewhere in the middle so that we can size up and down. It's just really practical and in these crazy timeframes that you have. You have to start somewhere. And for me, I'm passionate about fit. Fit is fundamental. Totally. So you have a consistent fit model, you fit to that, and then you work on your grades. So it isn't just a plus five centimeters Mm. you know as we go went up in our grades we would adjust for upper arms or thighs or whatever so there was not a standardization of down was this and up was that because because body shapes do change the smaller or larger they are I just think... It's a science, really. No, totally. And I think that sort of on the flip side from saying that I do think we've had some great changes, I do think we now live in a world, dare I bring it up, social media, uh, dare I bring it up, certain reality shows or certain people that have huge influence on all of us in some shape or form as, as a society... And then sort of then this suddenly the beauty ideals shift and kind of like how I mentioned, you know, suddenly there are young girls going to Turkey to have their bums injected. I know. And it's just like, I sort of still look at that and I look at it through my 11 year old eyes and I'm just like, where did, where did this shift just go 
completely to the extreme. It's social and media. And then look at, yeah. Yeah. And, and it's sad. And, and I will never forget, you know, here, chatting to my stepdaughter when she was under 10 and asking her, because I was really curious. I said, are, you know, are any of your friends conscious of their weight? I mean, she must have been eight at the time. And she said, oh, yes as she tucked into her spaghetti. And, and I love the fact that she is 18 and just loves her food and is just so at ease in her body. Yeah. I mean, she's got a, a fantastic little figure, don't get me <laughs> wrong. But um, I, I love that fact that she is really at ease in, in her body because, you know, God, I wasn't at her mm. age. And then, you know became a model and then really wasn't yeah you know I mean what was that experience like modeling you know in relation to food <laughs> did I was ru- there any food uh, was there any food <laughs> did I ruin my teeth eating too many grapefruit because they were nice and oh, filling gosh. and very lo- low calorie <laughs> yes I did um yeah, it was, you You know... You it was do, a different world. It was a different world. And I'll never forget, I used to do um, a campaign, Wakely Women, and I'd have all sorts of real women modelling the campaign. And, and I love ballet. And and um, I I had this ballet dancer do one of my campaigns. And oh, wow. we, we re- she was lovely and open. And we really got chatting. And I said, so tell me, you know, ballet dancers and their relationship to food... Truly and utterly fucked up. Yeah, like huge. Yeah. Because she that, sweetly, that's one industry. She bought a homemade cake to the shoot, and she she had pulled out of the whole ballet company um, type world and was more doing her own thing. And yeah, mm. yeah, terrifying, mm. terrifying. And, just, and then comes with that all the horrible sort of competition between everyone oh it's just a whole situation yeah I want to just bring it back to launching your your fashion line and you know that that is no mean feat to create as a female this global brand and I'd love to hear about your experience of setting it up you know this is sort of what the 90s you know what's what was the vibe like, and and how did you sort of get on get on the path? I do you know what I I came back from the states at the end of the eighties, and I'd I'd loved living and working there, and I remember I just couldn't find the clothes that I loved mm. from America, and you know it was early days, the sort of Calvins, the Ralphs, the Donners coming over to the UK. And I remember being stopped in Browns on South Moulton Street and by one of the sales associates there and said, you know, who, where's your black suede duster coat from? I love it. And, and then this happened to me a couple of times and I thought, hang on, there must be a gap in the market here. And so I literally... Hannah, no business plan, nothing. I, you know, small family loan. I just thought I'm going to make a small collection of my favourite pieces, and I'm going to sell them to friends and friends of friends. And it's as simple as that. Wow. And I, I hired. I think my first sort of contract in terms of a hire was, or freelance contract was a PR, and. <laughs> Which was sensible, Listen, actually. actually. very good, Think, very, thinking very back good, very to good it. money spent. <laughs> um, yeah, really good money spent. And so, actually, 
I, I ended up being put on the map quite quickly. Oh. And then the then deputy editor of Vogue, Anna Harvey, glorious Anna Harvey, um, who's sadly no longer with us, but she was advising the late Princess of Wales. And she said, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like her to see you. I think you two would get on really well. And I think your style is really right for her. And and then, you know, the the rest is sort of history from there. That really did help sort of wow. put me on the map. So... Let's obviously talk about the dear Princess Diana who... So so what year are we kind of... When were you introduced to her? What are we talking about? Back here? in... I think it was about 92. I started in late 1990. Okay. So I was sort of... You, you were know, still in your formative years. Very, very much so. In a tiny Gosh. little design studio yeah. in the back end of Chelsea. And I mean, you know, that is a huge client to have and I'm sure she became a very dear friend of yours but what is it like working or designing or sort of being with someone of that stature I mean you know she's was is still you know loved the world over she had impeccable style obviously thanks to you now now, now I've realized it was all you tiny tiny bit (laughs) um but, well, it, it was a privilege. Yeah. And she had such a wicked sense of humour and she was so informal, um, which was was really, mm. really lovely. I was expecting far more bells and whistles. And, you know, in fact, I was expecting sniffer dogs in before <laughs> she arrived. And, of course, she arrived early and I hadn't even... I, I was, you know, probably hadn't even changed my clothes or whatever <laughs> um, or freshened up my makeup. But she was so sweet and so so warm and apologetic for being early that you know just sort of set it off on a really really lovely lovely footing and she was just very informal and kind I I think that's why she was loved you know so much because it it wasn't the bells and whistles it was very much she was one of us she was like you she was this giant presence yeah somehow I can't really explain it but you know, when people have a presence, she just had this wonderful, wonderful presence. And tell me, what sort of things was she into clothing-wise? Well, interesting. I did a, quite a lot of her off-duty, um, which was, was such a treat. So, you know, lovely sort of sexy cashmere backless oh. bodies. Oh, and, hello. Um, you know, really, and lots of suede and, oh. um, yeah, I was I was lucky. I I got to do some of the the fun bits um, as well as sort of you know suits for public life and all all of that. But I really enjoyed sort of thinking through her weekends with her. Mm. Aside from her, who um, are some of the other some of your other favourite people that you've worked with or designed for? Well, interestingly enough, um, you you know you mentioned Angelina Jolie. <laughs> And 99% of the time, these celebrities or actresses or whatever, they work through stylists. So So you don't don't actually necessarily have a one-on-one relationship with them. And in fact, when Angelina wore that dress, the first I knew of it was on Instagram the next morning. And suddenly I was just getting all these followers and it was just going Wow. So they don't even give you a heads up to say sometimes they may not. My PR didn't want to give me a heads up just in case. And and in fact, we were away at the time. So 
I didn't check my phone mm. late that night. <laughs> and it was just sort of the next morning. It was like, oh my God. Incredible. Yeah, it was a and great I just, moment. I just love the fact that you walked, I'm still getting over it, but you walked <laughs> in. It was sort of like, that's my dress. <laughs> oh, and hello, Hannah. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> what is the, your favourite item of clothing that you've ever designed? Oh, and that's God. a really difficult that one. That is so hard. Or maybe a particular collection, because it just changed mm. every collection. Because we developed a lot of our own fabrics too, so it was just such a wonderful creative process. Um, what do I really love designing? Is I love designing cashmere because it's just a sort of, it's a forever something, yeah. and I, you know, I really feel passionately about clothes should really last us a very very long time i also think cashmere is just the ultimate feeling of luxury and and you know i did what i do i do what i do because i love women to feel great mm. and yes you know cashmere feels yeah. just delicious doesn't it so tell me about creating your own fabrics what's that process like quite complex actually yeah. and it really depends on on what it is but you work very very closely with the mill um wow. on on these developments and you know whether it's um designing textures or um patterns or prints or whatever you you're working very very closely on the evolution How of it interesting yeah which is fascinating and it's it's a it's a wonderfully indulgent creative process mm. Uh, before we move over to the new uh, direction you're going into, I just want to ask sort of what is your relationship with food like? I mean, I know we've kind of mentioned it, but, you know, with the link, I guess, between fashion and food being so incredibly intertwined, do you feel like that you have a very healthy relationship? And also, do you feel like we're getting to a point in the industry where things are becoming a bit more... Uh, I normal or yes I feel within the industry it, it, we're far more inclusive than than we ever have been yes there's still work to do um but I think massive massive steps have mm. been been taken my own relationship with food is now good um but I had years of of that sort of struggle really with weight and not that I was ever I've never really been overweight but you know when that feeling of you not being fully at ease in your mm -hmm. skin and and now I suppose I've never been fitter than I am now and I think fitness just somehow you crave really good food um I'm very into nourishing my body and the older I get I I love that whole process of feeding us you and me mm. really good food it's just you a, did thank it's, you <laughs> it's just a it's just a, a wonderful holistic thing to be doing you know to be do making you, delicious food and do you feel like maybe your past relationships with food whether it be feeling uncomfortable in your body or whatever it might be do you think that stems from those early days even like you know maybe modeling in new york oh or... i think it stems from from, from school. school yes where you know most of us had a rubbish relationship mm. with food one way or another but was that coming from because the food was so awful that you guys weren't eating it or because no i think sort of competitive girls 
you know, being very aware mm. of, from quite an early age, of our bodies. Mm. God, it's tough being a woman. Oh, it's sad, isn't it, it when is. I think about it? It but... is, and I feel, you know, and I feel like we've all got a story, and it's just... but actually now to finally feel really at ease in my skin and to actually be kind to myself Mm. and say okay yeah put a couple of pounds on on holiday no big deal and I had a great holiday. I had a and the great food was amazing. time. Yes. And so, sod the intermittent yes. fasting. <laughs> I'm eating all the breakfast I can find. And I can sleep <laughs> off my breakfast anyhow. Or, you know, when we're in the mountains, you have to to eat, to be strong and, yeah. um, you know. Be Where able... are you in the mountains? We're in Switzerland, in Verbier. Oh, love. Oh, you, skiing? And, yes. Oh, and fabulous. You know Hugh, he likes to climb a mountain before <laughs> before we ski down it. So, <laughs> God, I need to eat. Or I do cho- Hugh, I choose to Hugh eat. Hugh is Amanda's wonderful partner, who we all love dearly. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently he fishes for trout as well. So he he's very trout. useful to have around. Oh, my God. He's Well, he's my James Bond. He'll hate me for saying that. He, he looks he, a bit like a James Bond, he actually. Bit, doesn't he? He does. <laughs> You can tell him I said that. <laughs> so bringing it back to present day, we must talk about your new podcast, which is so exciting. Welcome to the world of podcasting. It's called Amanda Wakely Style DNA. Talk to me about the concept. I love the idea of it. Oh, you are oh sweet. Oh my gosh. I have loved the the journey of it. And I suppose I, I really started thinking about it a couple of years ago and sort of particularly in lockdown when you just had a bit more time to think and and I've just been I've always done what I've done because I want women to feel really like the best version of themselves you know we've just talked about struggles Mm. with not feeling your sparkly best and how can I as a designer make a woman feel a little bit taller a little bit curvier in the right yeah. place and just better in her skin mm. and and so I've always been very aware of the power of clothes and how transformative yeah. they are and so I just thought do you know what everyone has an opinion on clothes whether you like clothes or not whether you unless you're a nudist everyone <laughs> has to make a decision in the morning about what they're putting and on they are around I and saw them down the river Thames the other no. day no yeah I saw a go couple, away I saw a couple I saw a couple <laughs> cycling no. nude uh down the River Thames near Hammersmith. If anybody wants to go hang out around there, they are there. Oh, And they are my... out and about having a wonderful time. Hanging out. Hanging out, literally. <laughs> but it was one of those, like, when you do a double take, you're like, wait, what was that? <laughs> okay. For those of us who aren't nudists, we all have to make our decision in the morning about what yes. we're putting on. And, and so even those blokes that say well I don't care about clothes I just wear jeans and t-shirt my husband yeah but you're very specific (laughs) Leo about what those jeans are and what those t-shirts are and it it's just fascinating and why why don't you and sometimes there's some really deep reasons you know maybe you you just you're a refugee from somewhere and you literally had to grab a bag and you were in the clothes on your back and somehow that's Mm. you know affected your your whole 
choice towards clothes forever and ever. Mm. Whatever it is, there's a story there. That's fascinating. It's kind of like the psychology behind sort of what we wear and what we choose. So what sort of questions are you asking your guests? I'm asking everything from what's your earliest sartorial memory? When was the first time you understood the power of clothes? Or, or you know, and, and which actually has all sorts of stories attached to it. To, you know, maybe a fashion faux pas to... Got a few of uh, oh, We've all got them somewhere. <laughs> For some reason, mine all seem to be within the year 2000 to 2000... The first 10 years of the noughties were a real low point, I personally think, for my fashion. It was a shocker. I try not to remember things that are negative. Yeah, no, I know. (laughs) So the the photos sometimes pop up on like my memories or things and I'm like, "Mm, okay, sure, Hannah. (laughs) So it's, it's, you know, like like you you do for food. It's your life through clothes. Mm. It's, um, you know, just really understanding who that person is sartorially but uh, but more than that you know um what it's meant to them no and I, and I actually love the concept the reason being that I'm not the biggest sort of fashion victim in the sense like I love fashion but I don't necessarily buy into trends I'm very into sort of buying key pieces things that really just suit my body as much as I want to wear a crop top I'm not going to wear a crop top because it doesn't really suit my body but that's okay but I and a lot of people who perhaps aren't into fashion will see it as sort of quite, oh, it's just your clothes. It's so surface level. But it's not about that. There is this deeper hidden, not even hidden, just a deeper psychological, probably conversation that goes on in your mind. Absolutely. When you do choose those clothes, and as much as I love my husband and he's like, I'm just going to put on the T-shirt and jeans that I wore yesterday, there's still a choice being made there. Exactly. Right? Is it the white T-shirt or the gray t-shirt exactly <laughs> and i and i do think it's actually a really interesting conversation it, it is fascinating and you know what's the most precious piece to yeah. you in your wardrobe now you know for me it's honestly it's probably my father's cashmere sweater that i had had made for him oh. and so you know there's a there's lovely stories mm. at, attached to all of these things what's your view on sustainability yeah. you know do you upcycle do you recycle mm. do you sell you know just there's there's a lot of stories there so i do have to then ask you what not that i'm focusing on the negative but what has been your biggest fashion faux pas? God, do you know what, Hannah? I, I'm sure there any, have been be millions of them, but but I just don't choose to dwell on the negative. Fine. It's just my okay. it's my personality. Right. I'm just sort of I'm a glass half full girl. I can't help myself. It's like oh, half empty. Sod that. Back of the back of the room. No, no. I mean, I mean, I I, I mean, I am unfortunately still dwelling on those first ten years of the noughties, but it's fine. We'll, oh, we'll, stop it! Let we'll it move go. On. We'll Let move it on. go. It's just the problem is we live in a world now where everything's photographed. Pre noughties, you could kind of get away with anything, <laughs> whereas now everything's just captured. Everything is evidence. Oh, it's all evidence. There's no tomorrow's chip paper. No, no, no. <laughs> Because when I started out, everything was tomorrow's chip paper. Exactly. So if, if you got a bad review yeah. in the days that they were, you know, you were yeah. really taking the reviews very, very, just very serious. Move it on. Just yes. I, oh, you yeah. Know. Some or someone said something a little bit scratchy. Yeah. Wow, tomorrow's chip paper. <laughs> Whereas nowadays it's on that internet. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Back to the food. 
You do cook. What are some of your specialities? Oh, I cook very simply. Um, and I love really good food and well prepared. Yeah. And so I'm a, a simple cook, an uncomplicated cook. Um, but I love the whole process of really, really good ingredients. You know, I bought you herbs today. I love, you know, just the best tomatoes the best buffalo mozzarella um i i'm not a a sort of complex yeah. cook and in fact it's a it's a running joke between Hugh and i because he was he was taught how to he used to live next to albert Roux, um oh wow and and one day they were both on the same plane and by chance and and Hugh said you know i'll, I'll give you a lift back home and he said and albert said to him well fine but i i will teach you how to make the perfect scrambled eggs. And so now it's an ongoing joke between us because I'm really fussy about my scrambled eggs. Okay. They've got to be absolutely perfect and don't get on the phone while I'm making scrambled <laughs> eggs because they're going to be perfect. What, what is a um, perfect scrambled egg? Oh, perfect scrambled eggs is that sort of not too runny and not yep. too yep. rubbery. Um, so just it, they've got to be done very slowly and with loads of butter and yes just put on the table at the right moment mm-hmm. um and so one day I did let so if we're if we're in and busy you know scrambled eggs and avocado and smoked salmon is just like the and perfect. can Hugh do a perfect scrambled egg oh my god Hannah no oh <laughs> Because he was taught with the, you know, the whatever it is, the you know, the to do them over um, water. What's it called? The bain. Oh, got oh, bain marie. Yeah, oh, is that exactly. how Albert Roux does Apparently it? Apparently so. Um, but anyhow, so one day he he offered to do, it and I said, well, what happened to the bain marie? Oh, sod that. No, <laughs> you just mix it all up in the pan. Whatever. It was a disaster. Oh dear. And okay. um, so now, if if ever I'm running late and we just are going to have a grab a quick quick snack together, he'll say to me. I'm just scrambling the eggs and I'm like no <laughs> it's always a joke but don't to be honest um, with you I and I I always bang on about this I think some of the simplest dishes like I use an omelet as an example are actually the hardest things to perfect and fish oh. is that's really I mm. we were up in Northumberland a, a few years ago and the friend that we were staying with had literally just caught the salmon and mm. it was just and he gave it to his amazing chef who cooked it out in the field in the you know in this sort of field wow. oven and and it was just the most delectable bit of fish I've ever eaten and I asked him how he did it and he did it in a very, very hot oven, but like for two minutes, and then sat and it, it rested and for still about cooked. oh my god, oh it my was gosh. just delicious. So now we're lucky enough to have an agar in the country, but now I think I've perfected it. Okay, so um, I, I love a really good piece yeah. of fish, but also I, I think just very difficult to get right oh, as well. Oh, you can trash you know? it in a hurry, no, completely. Because the thing is, actually, I always think my, my personal rule of thumb with fish is that it needs a lot less time than you think. Mm. You know, the amount of time, I mean, the amount of times you go out to restaurants and I'm like, what is this? It's been cremated. It's dry. This ain't a steak. (laughs) (laughs) What three items are always in your fridge? Oh, I would say avocados, smoked salmon and eggs. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, and goat butter. That's oh, four. Goat butter. And then very dark chocolate. You're not supposed to keep that in the fridge, are you? Well, but, uh, it's, it's preference. After yeah, the I summer like, we've had. I yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I fridge. actually like my chocolate melted. That's another conversation for another day. Um, but, oh, fellow chocoholic. Oh, I've well, sent... I like a little bit every now and again. I like just a little, um, I like a bit after a big meal. I haven't learnt that just a little bit. Right, okay. <laughs> Never seemed to work. Well, my for me. issue is that. Well, we're going to come to that in a minute. But I have a. Um, you'll see what my. Um, what's what's the kryptonite is. <laughs> um, final thing before we get to the infamous uh, quick fire questions. Favorite restaurants, and I know you got some under your belt Ooh, there. Um, yes, a wonderful, wonderful one on the Amalfi Coast called Lo Scolio. Oh, I've heard of oh, it. Oh my God, Hannah, try. And I know go. this Italian family, and they grow all their own fruit and veg and it everything is just as fresh as fresh i mean the caprese salad i have never had the likes of and for me a caprese is it probably would be one of my death row meals okay um and just the vongole oh my god (laughs) were just mouth-wateringly good um so that uh, there's another little one in Switzerland. It's tiny. It's called Le Mazo. It's just this minute little mountain refuge. And we go there when we've had a mega, mega, mega ski touring day. So that means a lot of climbing the mountains mm. before we ski down them. So you've got a serious appetite. Oh, my God, you've got a serious appetite. And they have a tart poirot there, homemade. Oh, with, and I'm sure it's got horrible amounts of cream and cheese and lardon and but the leeks and oh Oh and the pastry is just salivating mouth-watering with a huge green salad (laughs) and a massive glass of wine because I feel like I've earned it absolutely (laughs) and where are some of your places in London oh it's really corny but the river cafe yeah I mean Ruthie bless her just nails it her and her team it's just Mm -hmm sensational it's yeah. always a treat the f- and I it's really my type of food just beautiful ingredients mm. incredibly well sourced and then not as in sourced yeah. <laughs> yes and sourced, then yeah and then not messed around with too much yeah. just beautifully cooked I mean it's an institution you know it's just and, and yeah. I'm sure it comes up time and Do you know time what? It, again. yeah it has actually um it has, and it's not too far from me, so that's always useful. It's really useful. <laughs> so, quick fire questions, which are not quick fire at all. Are you ready? I'm ready. What is the craziest food you've ever eaten? Well, you've probably gathered by now I'm not super adventurous. That's okay. It, as, as someone said to me earlier, it's all subjective as well, you know? Probably the craziest food I've never eaten. <laughs> I like that. I, it was, God, it was probably 20 years ago or something, and visiting factories in china and and the whole tradition is the factory owner takes you out to yeah. lunch at his favorite restaurant and we arrived and outside there are cages of live animals okay at which point i promptly became vegetarian <laughs> so i honestly i think i'm the type of girl that says if in doubt and i don't know what it is it ain't Say going no. in my mouth yeah no i i i i get that <laughs> we'll end that one there yes what has been your most memorable meal? Wow. Um, I would say probably, I, yes, but definitely was when I um, got my OBE and my mother and father 
and Hugh were there with me and we went straight on from Buckingham Palace, which was just a magical moment. And we went to Harry's Bar and um, just the four of us together and it was really, really magical. The food was sensational and it was just a a magical moment. It was probably one of my father's last trips to London. So it was sort of really special. Tell me, actually, what was it like receiving the OBE? Um, slightly nerve-wracking, yeah. actually. But they they do it all so beautifully and they literally walk you through it step by step. You'll sort of explain where to go, curtsy, how to curtsy by this fantastic man in the most incredible uniform oh, and he's there gosh. explaining everything. I mean, what an accolade. And oh. that also just shows you, you know what you have created over the years it's just it's well, fantastic that's, that's incredibly kind of who you. gave you your obe prince charles the now king king charles yes yes we are obviously talking at a very sad time so he is now king the charles king. Yes. yes well there yes. we go that yeah. is very momentous yeah really incredible my favorite snack of all time is a packet of crisps as you can see uh, my beautiful packet of Monster Munch and now have they now <laughs> oh, have I their own They've got- uh, they are presented in their on their own stage what is your favorite flavor of crisps and why oh salt and vinegar nice salt and vinegar and the thick um what are they kettle chips okay oh, good right so it's like a good them. crunch Good crunch, absolutely. So, are we love talking them. like the balsamic vinegar ones that yes. kettle chips do? Great. But you know what I've recently discovered? You can get these rice cakes that are salt and vinegar flavored. Yeah, we're obsessed with them in this Those house. Those <laughs> with a slather, a thick slather of butter, are honestly, almost better than. Yeah. And do you know what? I can digest them easier. <laughs> <laughs> Fried it's funny food you say that doesn't one go of those down that well with me. went in one night two nights ago. <laughs> oh my god, they're great! I know. I they're also quite powerful. Like really quite serious, powerful. They pack a punch. I know. Well, Hugh came home the other night a little earlier than I was expecting. <laughs> I said, "Okay, new guilty secret. Try this." <laughs> As she sat around crumbs because they can get quite messy. <laughs> really messy. The goat butter was all <laughs> over. <laughs> okay, what food sums up happiness for you? Oh, I would have to say midsummer caprese salad with the most perfect buffalo mozzarella, sun ripened tomatoes, perfectly ripe avocado, and fresh basil from your terrace. <laughs> and and just lashings of olive oil. Absolutely. Are we gonna join that with maybe a nice glass of wine? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Absolutely. I'd like a chilled rose or something. Chilled rose. Or a chilled Pulini. Okay, yeah. Mm. I mean, I'll take whatever, whatever's there. I'm happy, as long as we can do it together. Oh, yes, please. Final question. Live to eat or eat to live? Do you know what? I was debating this in my drive home yesterday. <laughs> and I do both. I'm really big into the nourishment of food and how important it is to sustain our bodies. And, you know, particularly right now, I'm... I'm in training for a trip to Antarctica. And what? when I say that, we're climbing mountains in Antarctica. So I'm like under this sort of pressure to get super, super, super fit. So you just drop that in there now right at the I'm end. Big into the bone broths <laughs> and all of that. But then I just, I do love the whole pleasure. And I love the pleasure of making a meal with friends too yeah. or family. It's yeah. just, it's very. 
that is very nourishing too. Well, so you've gone left field here. I have to just <laughs> ask you, what are we doing in Antarctica? Well, it's sort of a trip of a lifetime, really. We we always wanted to do it. And then we were in Switzerland last year and friends of ours said, oh, we're going to Antarctica next year, but we're going skiing there. You should come. And we looked into it and we do. We, we literally get off the boat in the morning with a ski guide and we strap our skins onto our skis which is a way to get you up the mountain and we skin for three or four hours and then we ski back down okay sorry i have so many questions really quickly um where do you fly to we we fly down to ushuaia and then get onto the boat there where's that (laughs) south america (laughs) south pole antarctica no polar bears (laughs) Geography wasn't my strong point at school. Um, okay, so and not fly- mine either, so apparently, according down, to an old fly- school friend of mine who said, yes, you were always in the geography lessons <laughs> with a copy of Vogue. <laughs> you knew exactly what you wanted to do. I guess I did. And so how long are you going to be out there for? We're going to be out in on the ship for about 12 days. Oh my God, this is insane. I know, the I know. food is going to be interesting. I should think the food will be really basic. I am uh, already packing, thinking yeah. of packing my little sort of apple supplement I, I wonder if energy they'll make boosters. you take like the freeze-dried stuff. They do that a lot. A lot of the oh, explorers. no, 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 Hannah, you've got this wrong. We get off the boat every morning. <laughs> <laughs> She's doing it in the way that I'd want to do it. Oh, no, but yes. I'm assuming when, you're, when you go out for the day, you might need to carry things with you. Absolutely, absolutely. That is fascinating. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to hear about the The photos are going to be insane. I know. I've, yes, I suddenly thought I actually need to get my old camera out and yes. learn how to use it finally. I wonder what the national dish of Antarctica is. Well... Guess, guess you'll let me know that. I will. In a few months' I will. time. <laughs> God. Amanda, thank you so much for coming over. Thank you for bringing gifts. Greatly appreciated and will be used tonight. Thank you for allowing us all to appreciate our bodies as they are and for just being such a joyous, wonderful human being. Oh my God, Hannah, thank you. you I could have sat here fabulous. all afternoon. Well, I'd... you can, and I'll make you some toast with, uh, with my mother. And I didn't talk lucky. about my little foraging exploration. What foraging too? exploration? <laughs> Tell me more. Quickly then. We, we have a home in the New Forest, and so in the autumn, we go out with a foraging expert, and we pick all these fabulous sort of winter chanterelles and pied de mouton and there's a lovely wild crest that you can find in the new forest and then we come home and we make a giant risotto oh my gosh yeah it's so so a foraging expert yes yes because you have to be really really careful so this was a, a man who grew up in the area and literally has done it since he was a child um and i and i took my nephews um with me last autumn and they said to him, but so now we know what we're looking for. We're, we're safe doing this, aren't we? He <laughs> says, yeah, you're safe. You'll just be dead by Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> so I can imagine he's sort of, because I mean, I, I'm assuming there's a variety of mushrooms just growing every left, Absolutely. right and centre. And it's just, and I wonder how, what, what, what is, if you know, the rule of thumb of sort of working out if a mushroom is deadly or not? I still haven't got that. Right. And actually... Every time we go foraging, he will come home with us. He will go through our basket because you don't take much. You yeah. take what you can eat. Of course. It's, it's sort yeah. of the way of, of foraging. But he will go through it 
one mushroom by and you know that at a time to make sure that you're not hopefully dead by christmas <laughs> we're not promoting that that's for sure again thank you so much for joining me um and i look forward to some of your foraging next time absolutely thank you what a pleasure Thanks, to Amanda. be here bye Thank you for listening. If you love what you hear, please subscribe and review. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Crazy Sexy Food and check out the Crazy Sexy Food YouTube channel. Until next time, bye.